This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. It's showtime. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 228. This time around, you are joined by filmmakers Justin Powell and David Charbonnier. It is a movie getting incredible reviews and acclaim. At time of release, your chance to experience it is May 14th in theaters and on demand. It's called The Gin. Hear the fascinating story of how it came to be. It's really inspiring to hear how Justin and David worked with what was available to them to summon up a plot, see what I did there, and how they crafted the limitations they had into amazing and unique centerpieces for a stunning, effective, and memorable horror adventure. This movie is so great. They'll also talk sequel ideas and their other film, The Boy Behind the Door, coming to Shutter this summer. Read along with us in your book of shadows as we conjure Justin Powell and David Charbonnier for episode 228 now. I think. We start thinking about the things we're missing. We forget about the things we have. I've got to take a shower before bed. I'll be home before you get up. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio are two exciting writer-directors who are lifelong friends and collaborators. Their debut feature, The Boy Behind the Door, premiered at Fantastic Fest 2020. It has been hailed as a masterful exercise in eloquently orchestrated tension, earning it over-the-top critical acclaim and a coveted 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. People saying it's the most terrifying film they've ever seen. A time of release, your chance to check it out exclusively on Shutter, July 29th. Their follow-up film stars Ezra Dewey, Rob Brownstein, and Tevi Poe. It's about a young boy unable to speak who is trapped in his apartment after summoning a creature with the power to grant his greatest wish. It's called The Gin. It's available May 14th in select theaters and on demand. We are honored to welcome its creators, Justin Powell and David Charbonnier. Yeah! Yeah! Thank you so much for having me. Uh, gotta us. start by saying we are humongous fans, so we're so excited about this. So thank you for having us. Hey, you guys, thank you oh, both so much yes. for this opportunity to hang, and congratulations on this amazing film you guys are killing yes. it out there thank you and one of the reasons that we are so stoked to talk to you guys about it not only because how immersive and effective and beautiful the gin is but you can feel the reverence and the love of the genre in its genetic makeup from the way the shots are framed to the scares and the sound so we want to know about the horror films that you both grew up on starting with your earliest experience that you can recall. Justin, you can start us off, man. Well, so for me, I know that my, I, oh God, I have so many favorites. I mean, the thing, John Carpenter, anything by him, anything by Wes Craven. I know that Dave and I were really influenced in general growing up together by Child's Play and Jurassic Park, hence like children in peril being a thing for us. 
just horror is really what like united David and I in a lot of ways when we were younger and we've known each other since kindergarten. So we have just like, gosh, these, yeah, I don't know. There are too many. I can't like, whenever I'm asked that question of like, what is your favorite horror movie? It's like this like list becomes just like, <laughs> just like appears in my mind and I can't like, <laughs> like, oh my God, there's too many titles. We are, we're massive fans of the genre. <laughs> it blows my mind that you guys have been friends since kindergarten because that doesn't happen very often. Like, I barely remember who I was in a class with in kindergarten. So that's amazing to me. David, do you remember like the first horror movie that you guys saw together or the first one that you bonded over? We both cannot remember at all. <laughs> the first one we saw together. We were always constantly talking about movies. At least for me growing up, the two that really stand out that I feel influenced me or have influenced me so much and their classics are Child's Play and Gremlins, especially being like a kid at that time. I don't know. I was so drawn to both those movies and I, I can't explain why, but yeah, they definitely hold a very dear place in, in my heart. And I know Justin likes them too. Yeah. <laughs> so take us a bit through the process in making that leap into building your very own first film, The Boy Behind the Door. What was a moment like before you began to scale that mountain? Well, interestingly, uh, we shot The Gin first. So that was really our first movie. It had been a long road to get to the point where we had gotten. It's just like years and years of trying to get a story, a company interested in a story, getting meetings with producers. It's like rejection nonstop. You know, things fall through nonstop. So after all that time, we had finally gotten, we had written this new script way behind the door and we'd gotten a company interested and we were so excited. And once again, <laughs> things fell through and, you know, they said they were going to push it to the following year, but Justin and I in the back of our minds were like, no, that just means it's canceled. We've been through this route before. So from there, we really, you know, we just became determined like, well, let's try to make a movie anyways. We don't have really any resources, you know, but we have a small apartment we could use. We had just cast Ezra and Boy Behind the Door and we knew he was fantastic. And with those two resources, really no money, you know, we did have some talented friends who we recruited for, you know, on set, but we really crafted a story around that. And that's how the gin came to be. We'll go to you, Justin. What did you feel were the creative parts of you that you wanted to ring loudest on, on your first film? So the things that we love in, in horror the most are the horror that has like a strong emotional core with characters that you really want to like follow and root for. We are kind of, you know, advocates that the best horror is the one that can exist without all the scares and all the like <laughs> horrific elements. And so we wanted to have like a very strong, like core of that, no matter what story we told. And then in terms of bringing in that type of like the horror that we do love the, we we're fans of the genre in general and all kind of all aspects of the subgenre. Like the only subgenre I think we don't really respond to is um, kind of like torture porn. So we do, you know, like our, to have like those, obviously like, like a lot of intensity and like moments of violence that really stand out. But we find that it's a lot more impactful if the whole thing doesn't just feel like this torture fest. Um, 
So we really wanted to make sure that that came through where it felt like uh, you were feeling this rising tension throughout. And we really don't like audiences to be able to take a breath. That's the kind of horror that we we really respond to where it feels like you're taking on this ride and just like from the moment you go, it's just like, oh my God, like this is, this is relentless. Like, <laughs> like, and you know, we don't want that feeling to, to end. So that was something that we really wanted to lean into and what we wanted to get across, I think with, with the gin that was important to us. And David talking about that emotional core of the story, I'm curious at what point did you guys come up with the, the powerful beats in the script and the message? The words like what's done cannot be undone. When you focus on things you were missing, you forget about the things we have. Those elements, were those things that developed as you were writing or were those some of the first initial ideas? It's kind of hard to say. The, the what's done cannot be undone and, you know, sort of the idea of being thankful for what you have. I feel like that was there at the inception, but I don't feel like we fully had realized how far we could push that until we had explored sort of Dylan's backstory and trauma a little bit more and how it was like affecting his present. And, you know, Ezra gives such an amazing authentic performance that he just pushed that even further and, you know, really strengthened the overall message. You know, when we start thinking about the things we're missing, we forget about the things we have. And we also liked just the opportunity to be able to explore the idea of grief. That's definitely a theme that really inspires us a lot. You know, it's really relatable, something, unfortunately, we all go through at some point. So that was definitely a a fun, not a fun, a cathartic (laughs) experience out of the process. Yeah, the jinn is often associated with Islamic beliefs and folklore. In this movie, we see a book of shadows, a mashup of two types of beliefs, that of the jinn and witchcraft. Talk about the decision to bring this to life in the film, but also not incorporate any kind of religion whatsoever. Yeah, it was actually really important for us to, uh, we didn't want to actually explore the religious side of it. We wanted to kind of like stay, veer away from that in general in the story. And fortunately, we were doing like research on the, the jinn, it crosses over into so many different cultures. And one of the things that we saw is that it does appear in the occult a lot, which kind of shocked us because originally, you know, everything, even including the jinn as a character itself, we backed ourselves into like what the story is. So we started with like what David was saying, those elements of having the apartment and having Ezra cast and like knowing like, okay, we want to build a story around these two elements like the the decision to make him mute came from us not wanting to disturb the neighbors. Um, and we were just like, okay, well, like, because obviously like then you'll have like a kid that's screaming and they're going to be like, what the hell's going on upstairs? Like they're torturing a child. And we're like, well, we can't have that. So instead we decided to like figure out, okay, well, if he's mute, why is he mute? What does this mean? And we came up with the backstory of like his trauma and what that like looked like. And then from there we were like, okay, well, he's so traumatized by this that he blames himself. And so he wants to make a wish to make, you know, to kind of rectify that. And it's like, okay, well, what's the natural creature or sinister being that would allow him to like make this wish or whatever, but in a horror setting, Oh, a gin. And so, um, so like then we are, we were only familiar with gins through like Wishmaster and like Aladdin. And <laughs> we were just like, well, we want to have a different, 
television. So we started like researching it more and we're like, oh, there's so much more here than we realized like to, you know, these, these beings and they, they're just like, their lore is so extensive. And so that's kind of how we eventually landed there. And like when we looked at the kind of occult version that the versions that we had seen, that was really matching the most with our vision for the story and like the themes that we had been developing. So it was a really interesting process backing into everything and how we created the story. That's not something we had done before. It was a really interesting, fun exercise uh, that we're thankful it's turned out the way that it has. Yeah, hell yeah. My gosh. Yeah, yeah. Since you've worked with Ezra before, did you have him audition for the gin or you just automatically cast him? He actually didn't audition for any scene. We really did fall in love with him during when he came in to read for the, uh, the role of Kevin on Boy Behind the Door. And we just knew that he like he had the capability. He was talented enough. You know, we met with him and his mom a couple times to just talk about the character, talk about, you know, your motivations what you'd be going through. We asked him, you know, how would you feel if, if you were in this situation? Especially with kids, we always, I don't know if it's intentional in our writing, but in terms of our approach for directing, we like them to feel like themselves. This is just a different version of themselves, you know, if you were in this situation or if you were in this circumstance, but it's still you, it's still you, Ezra, it's still you, Lonnie. And, you know, if you find someone that's really talented and authentic, they, they just bring that natural presence and believability to the character. He was so good. Oh, he is amazing. I mean, speaking of that, yeah. you know, he has to work with the challenge, like you said, of not having the ability to speak. And as a result, he's got a tremendous weight in having to convey extreme emotions through his eyes and face, which he is fantastic at. What is the process of like not only achieving that working with them to achieve that in the challenge of capturing just the right moments in that to be able to tell the story in the right way. Ezra makes our job really easy. I gotta say, um, he's just, I, for us, like in that, like audition for the boy behind the door, like we, we saw so many kids after him and he was just always the one that was still in our head. Cause we just, we just knew it's like, there's something I think when it comes to children, it's it's a lot different working with children than it is working with adults in, in movies. Because with children, you're looking for, even in that audition process, just children that can be very authentic in front of the camera and just kind of feel like they're being themselves. So in terms of him bringing that presence to the screen, we never had to really work hard with him like behind the scenes and we didn't have a lot of time for that either we had a very tight schedule for this movie i mean we shot it in what david 12 days something like that so like we didn't have time to actually do that kind of work with him but i think that for what we've learned is that you really don't want to do too much work like that with the children because when you do, it takes away from that authenticity. Like they, they lose that truth and they start like feeling rehearsed because they have rehearsed it so much. Like for him, the biggest thing that we gave him, especially for those emotional scenes was, you know, just like some space to get into the uh, mindset that he needed to, because he, um, one thing that's so amazing about Ezra is that he just knows what it takes for him, like emotionally to get into those really dark places in his mind to like, 
all those scenes where he's like bawling and like, you know, really crying, he's really crying there. Like, and he just got into that, that state. And so it's like, if you just give these talented kids the space that they need, um, they'll do the rest of the work and they'll just make you look great. I love that. <laughs> the Boo Crew will be right back. Are you hungry? Hungry as a gremlin? Here's gremlin cereal. Gremlins, gremlins, bite after bite. What a tasty way to satisfy a gremlin appetite. Gremlins is a deliciously sweet, crunchy cereal that satisfies the hungry little gremlin. That's in all of us. Gremlins, gremlins, bite after bite. What a tasty way to satisfy a gremlin appetite. Gremlin cereal is part of this complete breakfast. Gremlin, yum, yum. Yeah, the movie is set in a small apartment and at times tight spaces, giving that feeling of dread and claustrophobia. Were there scenes where you had to build set pieces for a certain shot or effect? It was kind of like what you see is what you get. We did, it was a real apartment. It was only two bedrooms. No, we didn't have, I mean, the, the biggest thing I think we did was we had to remove a vent. <laughs> and that was kind of a weird but that was that was during one of those late nights when we were really trying to push ourselves like what can we really do in this apartment i feel like we've done everything and we're like oh well we haven't put someone trying to break through the wall in a vent <laughs> kind of deconstructed the air vent a bit but we fixed it afterwards you know to get it it was just very very practical really pushing ourselves creatively and really trying to use every square inch that we had access to as a viewer, a byproduct of that is it really puts us in the action and the apartment develops over the movie runtime as a character. And we see the traits of the apartment. We see the limitations of where we can go, we can hide, where we can't go. And that was a really cool experience. And was that something that you felt as you were making this? Like, let's take advantage of this. Let's build the apartment as a character or to just kind of happen that way. We, I think that we almost always, especially in contained horror, um, like to treat the location as a character. Um, so that was really important. Something that we always try to do is really establish the space early on um, to give the audience a very clear sense of the layout. Because I feel like when you know kind of exactly all the spaces that there are, like, as an audience, you kind of are put into the same shoes as the characters where it's like, okay, well, crap. Well, you can go here, you can go there, you can go there. It's like, but you're like, well, there aren't a lot of places, places to go. So it kind of like helps put you in the same mindset of, you know, your protagonist. And so uh, we really tried to do that with some of those long flowing takes that we have, especially early on where we're showing the entire apartment in like one take um, to really help give a sense of like, this is the landscape that we're working with, establish that character of the apartment and showing that this is the arena that these two um, characters are going to be going at it in for the duration of this film. And we love how you use the camera, too. There's a scene, for instance, where things are going on in the foreground, but the camera's staying focused on the closet, almost telling the viewer, no, 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 go in here. You do it throughout a few times, and it is really striking. Where did you come up with that idea, and how hard was it to execute? 
I mean, we worked really closely with our DP, Julian. Um, I remember he came over a bunch and we would just walk through the apartment. We would just look at every room, see what looked interesting, look for symmetry, uh, pull inspiration from, you know, different movies, a lot of the classic movies we've been talking about. We didn't have a lot of time to prepare for the movie, but it was a very collaborative and I think very thorough process on our end, you know, just really trying to explore. And of course there's discoveries on the day, but we really tried to map it all out. And um, yeah, we are happy with some of those closet shots. We also love that not only is it purportedly taking place in Burbank, but also yeah. that Dylan's dad is a radio DJ. That's how we all met at a radio station. There's lots of things we yeah. resonated with. It. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Was it a real radio station? I mean, back in those days, I, I, I forget the name of the station that he works at in the movie. Did you make that up? We made that up. <laughs> that was not a real radio station, <laughs> but it does really take place in Burbank. It does. So the apartment is in Burbank. Yeah. yeah. No way. That's awesome. <laughs> I also love that it works with the uncomfortable notion of putting Dylan kind of at an age where is it appropriate that he's even at home alone? I mean, we're at that age with oh, our gosh. kids right now, like our daughter who's you know just turned 12. And do we leave? And it leaves us a little unsettled right when the movie starts. Was there power existing and playing with that in the script? I think definitely like when you are a kid, everything kind of feels like an adventure. And I remember being left home alone and I would just sort of explore like the house and the basement in just different ways. Like it all felt like around the corner, there could be something <laughs> scary. I don't know why that was exciting back then. Or I was like excited about maybe finding a monster or something, or I would have loved to have found a magic book. I feel that's kind of every kid's wish is to find like, something with magic or treasure. And it, it just also reminds us of like home alone, like just that sense of wonder. And it's just, it's this whole new world kind of. David was always the one that would like be the one that would potentially lure us into a terrible trap of like some terrible adventure where we're going to get murdered. Like I really, <laughs> always him wanting to explore things that shouldn't be explored. I've been trying to get Justin to do a seance with me. I've not done one before. But, you know, obviously they're very risky according to <laughs> movies, but I feel like there's a chance we could make a connection. And I don't want to make that connection. <laughs> I agree. There is a chance that we can make a connection. <laughs> and I feel like that's something I don't want to do. Don't you believe there are good spirits? Do you, do you ever see the good spirits getting called? The bad ones always go through. It's true. <laughs> so the book that Dylan finds is absolutely gorgeous. What went into making that book and how elaborate does it get when it's physically in your hands? I'm going to leave David to answer this because he is way more to like, responsible for actually putting it together. I thought the book was super cool. He downplays it. So uh, we, we found someone really talented that actually made the book for us. Really, they just made like an actual book of shadows. So we do have a book of shadows that has like pages and pages and pages of spells and rituals. So that's really exciting. In terms of, and that could be something we use for the seance, Justin. Uh, but in terms of like, for the purposes of our story, we did come up with like all the pages of like the wish of desire and the jinn, the lore of the jinn. 
and you know things like that the spell so we we sort of had to mold it a bit to sort of fit the uh the story but yeah it is a really beautiful book and it's very tempting to want to flip through and you guys have it one of you guys have it yeah i have it hell yeah sonically right sonically this film is a feast for the ears and one of the things we want to talk about is that magical synth score so tell us about coming up with that and it was matthew james who worked on that with you correct yes we cannot overstate how much we absolutely love the score we love matthew we are like dave and i are both huge like score geeks and so like i feel like I, when I tell people that like, I don't listen to music with lyrics, I'm not kidding. Like I just listen to movie scores. So, um, and I largely listen to horror movie scores. And so like, it was kind of like always a dream of mine personally to like have this really cool score that just would really embody everything that I love about like horror and like 80s synth and everything. I know that was important to David too originally we kind of went into this thinking that it would be like, it would have those nods to the eighties, but it would also be just very atmospheric. And there are the, there is like that atmosphere obviously in the score, but Matthew just elevated this score to like a place that I don't think either of us ever expected to reach, especially on this budget that we were working with. And so, I mean, we're just like dumbfounded at like how awesome the score is and like, and sound and horror in general is like, arguably the most important thing just because like there's so much about like your experiences of like that's why when you you know cover your ears like it's just a lot less scary (laughs) the the sound design and the score just like really elevated this to a whole different level i remember like us cutting the movie and being like yeah this is pretty good this is turning out pretty well but then like once we actually like started getting the tracks in from matthew and like mixing it we were just like Oh my god! I think we actually made like a good movie. It's <laughs> 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 really, it's really exciting. So I mean, yeah, and that I mean, I'm gonna plug Matthew again and be like, his his album comes out. The score is being released on May 21st. So get that. Yeah, um, get that. I, we wanted Time Cop songs to be included on it, but we couldn't make that work. But there are three songs by Time Cop in it, and we were so thankful that he actually wanted to like include his music in our small movie. Also, that was another thing that floored us. Those songs are so impactful in the movie. So the audio, the sound design, just period really brings this movie together. Yeah. (laughs) The songs in the movie too, like the ones that, that, that do have lyrics tell a story as well, right? There's no turning back. You get away, all that stuff. Was it, were those added in after the fact or were those even in the script stage? Well, we had temp songs. They definitely weren't there in the script, but you know, once we cut it together, cut it together, we had some temp songs. But when we were looking at Time Cop and we knew we could have the chance to work with him, we did really look at songs that could possibly work and we were really looking at those lyrics because we love when stuff like that sort of happens to fit. And another thing sonically is is it Donald Pitt who's reading the voiceover? When the Book of Shadows is read, who's who's doing the voiceover for that? It's actually Rob Brownstein. Yeah, Donald yeah. Pitts is the is plays the old man version of the. I don't know much, but he plays the creepy old man. It's Rob that is the the voiceover because we wanted it to be since Dylan doesn't have a voice, 
the voice that he always hears, even in his head, is his father's. So that was like what we were, where we were going with that. Makes Doesn't sense. always come, come across, but that was our intention. <laughs> is there a treatment or backstory as to the origin of the mysterious book that you'd like to explore further in another movie or sequel? Oh, that's really interesting. I don't think we'll have the opportunity to make another movie or a sequel, but we have thought about a sequel idea and it doesn't actually follow um, the origin of the book. It follows more of like, it would follow more of Dylan where he's at now and sort of dealing with the, the consequences and sort of maybe venturing back into that world to undo things. Oh, that's exciting. One more question, and we have to mention this, is just the development of the creature effects and the look of the djinn and also the terrifying transformation that Tevi goes through and how that was made real. Yeah, that is all thanks to our incredible special effects makeup artist, uh, Gage Hubbard. And we, I mean, he's worked on so many incredible things. La Llorona, the, the nun, like he's the lead makeup artist on these massive uh, movies. I give David the credit for <laughs> reaching out to him because he s- saw him on Face Off. And he reached out to him and like made a connection with him years and years ago. We, uh, you know, hit him up again for this and we're like, hey, you know, we really love your work and we want to work with you. And we had like a nothing budget. And so the fact that he was able to make <laughs> all of this work with so little uh, originally the the gin was actually going to appear in full a lot more than it does but because we had such a low budget we had to limit how much we actually saw the the gin itself but you know those times that you do are absolutely terrifying and then yeah the transformations that you're <laughs> referencing that was him also and it was just so much fun watching the actors go through makeup. I know that Tevi especially had a lot of fun <laughs> with that and with the role. Like she embraced it so much and she was so she was so much fun to work with. She just loved playing that. I don't want to give this away either. She just loved playing that character. Um <laughs> just really she was so good at playing the character that there was one day Ezra was legitimately terrified. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Oh, no. I can imagine. Wow. It was an interesting day, but few hours of filming did anything creepy happen on the set nothing technically creepy happened but i guess oh i will say that like so it's something creepy for ezra happened because basically like we had like you know we're working with this 12 year old boy and ezra is like he's such like a great actor and he's like really like you know he comes across as very like wise beyond his years and so like you're just working with him being like, this is just like such an easy kid. And you kind of forget that he's like a child. And then you, like, there's that sequence where the apartment is all dark and like 12 year olds, we forgot, like some kids are afraid of the dark. Ezra was afraid of the dark. And so like, he had a lot of trouble shooting that sequence. And so we ended up having to kind of reconfigure how we were going to shoot that scene because a lot of that ends up having like, POVs in it like that are Dylan's POV instead of having Dylan actually in it. And that's because we wanted like he, he was struggling to like actually do the scene. So we wanted to like remove him from that as much as humanly possible. It was a really interesting like day. And so it was scary for us in terms of like, we're running out of time. What are we going to do? So that was, that was scary, but it was scary for Ezra for a different reason of like, Oh my God, it's dark. But then, you know, he ended up still having a lot of fun. He wanted to like, in order to like get over it, he wanted to like, 
play this game of hide and seek with us. So we all like played hide and seek in the dark and it ended up being this fun, <laughs> fun night or whatever. And so, I don't know, he's such a great kid. His family's awesome. It was just, it was such a great experience. <laughs> you guys got this coming out in a few days here and then the boy behind the door going to hit shutter in the summer. What else is going on? Do you guys have something else you're in the midst of working on now? Or are you just kind of sitting back and seeing what happens when these start coming out? We're constantly writing, constantly trying to get our, our material out there. We have a couple of things like cooking optimistically, but still nothing that's like for sure a go. You know, there's still that very constant theme of rejection that <laughs> no matter what, you always have to sort of push through. So nothing yet but we are staying consciously optimistic we have some things that yeah we have a few things that we're really pushing for so fingers crossed that one of them happens this summer oh i'm sure it will yeah with the acclaim that you guys are getting and the quality of the films that you guys are making there's no other option for it other than to happen so we're so excited for you guys well thank you very much Thank you. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 228. Special thanks to our guests, Justin Powell and David Charbonnier. At time of release, their new film, The Gin, is in theaters and on demand May 14th. The Boy Behind the Door arriving to shutter in July. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.